Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 356th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting in this, our eighth year, across the world, back in our studio in Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where the weather is absolutely magnificent. Most of the fires are just about out, and it's all looking good. You know, most industries and even homes are moving towards robots performing more roles. They vacuum your floor. They do all sorts of stuff. And we've seen loads and loads of movies. But did you know that robots can kill, not just in the movies, but in real life? In the past few years, 61 people have been killed by robots. (laughs) 61. Jesus. And where did you read about it? Where did you hear about it? You know, 30 people get shot in Chicago and it's all over every newspaper in the world. 61 people get killed by robots and nobody gives a rat's ass. Now, as robots get smarter, what happens when they go rogue? What happens when they go, I don't like you, you're gone? In 1979 was the very first one. That's a long time ago, but there was the very first one, a 25-year-old factory worker named Robert Williams. He was overseeing an industrial robot, a really giant thing, one tonne, five stories high, millions of gears, and uh, the robot struck him from behind and then crushed his body and then left him to die. So he was the very first person killed by a robot. Since then, 60 deaths were caused by robots in the US and countless number of people injured. So if a robot kills somebody, who's to blame? If I'm on the shop floor and I kill somebody, and eh, I'm gone. What happens when a robot decides he wants to kill somebody? You know, there was a death last night from an alligator. So what do they do? They hunt down the alligator and they put it to death. What do we do? Hunt down robots? In a factory setting, you know, robots are intended to perform unsafe, hazardous and highly repetitive and difficult tasks. As a result, robots often don't have the intelligence to detect humans outside of program tasks. They just see that's an object, that's an object, that one just happens to be a person. There are also no specific workplace safety standards for robots. Well, that seems pretty stupid, doesn't it? You can put out any robot you want and there's no workplace safety standards. It's a disaster waiting to happen. And often these deaths occur when a robot has a mechanical issue and needs human intervention. It just can't tell a human apart from an item it's programmed to grip, crush, or annihilate. I've been programmed to annihilate things, so I think I might just annihilate this person. (laughs) Now, Anna Vital, a 40-year-old factory worker in California, was overseeing a palletizer robot. That was a robot that just simply stacked boxes. A box became stuck 
and the robot thought she was a box and grabbed her, crushed her. And the robot had sensors to differentiate humans from boxes, but they didn't work. Wanda Holbrook, a 57-year-old factory technician in Michigan, fixing a piece of machinery when a factory robot went rogue. The robot's arm took her by surprise, entered the section she was working in, and just crushed her head. Pretty unpleasant. And I don't know how the hell you get out of the way. Now, most of the time, a robot kills a human. It's because the robot's too stupid, not too smart. As such, blame is typically placed on the machine's manufacturer. They manufactured it, therefore, it's their fault. But as artificial intelligence progresses and bots become more than just hardware following computer code, the blame game's going to get more and more complex. In a future where industrial machines have the ability to make their own decisions, robots could be charged with the intent to murder. I don't know how you handcuff their hands behind their back or put them in the back of a squad car, but... So machines are becoming autonomous at a rapid rate, and every time something goes wrong, whether it's a self-driving car or a surgery mishap, it makes for a sensational headline. Robot goes baresque. So most robot-related incidents so far have been the result of either machines being too stupid or, secondly, a disharmonious relationship between man and machine. Now, AI is poised to change both of these things. Founder of the research firm firm Atonation, Madeline Gannon, has been working on improving communication between a man and machine, a job that's earned her the title of Robot Whisperer. Don't you love it? Horse Whisperer, Dog Whisperer, now bloody Robot Whisperer. Soon, robots will leave the lab and live in the wild. And time will tell whether they want to work with us or against us. So I'm not quite sure what live in the wild means. But if that means at the end of the working day, they sort of pack up and go go home. <laughs> they live in some little robot apartment somewhere. This is all pretty scary. And I don't know whether humans who are supposed to program these things are smart enough to um, cover all the things that can go wrong. Anyway, we'll see. But so far, 60 deaths from robots, 61 deaths from robots, actually. That's a bloody lot. And it's time we started talking about it. Now, do you get my 30-second read daily business newsletter? Every day, we put out a a business newsletter that takes about 30 seconds to read. Sometimes it takes a bit more. And we now have about 1.75 or 1.76 million daily subscribers. It's a hell of a lot. It takes just 30 seconds, and every day we tackle a different subject. We could tackle advances in medicine, new apps, new technology, subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars and blockchain. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about new um, algorithms that um, could tell whether John Lennon or Paul McCartney wrote the songs and that created massive feedback. Incidentally, if you haven't seen the um, program with McCartney, 
the um, carpool karaoke. If you haven't seen that, have a look at it. It is with McCartney in Liverpool. It is bloody brilliant. Anyway, yesterday's newsletter was about poppy seeds because poppy seeds become tainted with morphine during the harvesting process. And this is not funny. It's serious. In some cases, the morphine residue on the seeds is enough to throw off the results of a drug test. There's many, many examples of women who have had their children taken away because they ate poppy seed bagels and failed a drug test. So to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology, ensure that you're able to compete in this ever-competitive world, you should get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. All you have to do, go to my website, which is bobpritchard.com, B-O-B-P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D.com, and enroll. And if you want to stop getting it, you just click on the unsubscribe, and it's gone. We don't give you details to anybody. We don't sell it. We don't, we don't do anything. We just simply use it to distribute our newsletter. Now, I've worked for a couple of billionaires and scores of large multinational companies, heaps and heaps of them. And most of the CEOs of these companies that I've worked with are tough. They're ruthless. And I've heard it said literally hundreds of times that you've got to be tough and ruthless if you want to succeed in a very aggressive, competitive world. And to some degree, I used to agree with that. But let me shoot that theory down very quickly. I came across a guy named Kurt Svendheim. He's had an extraordinary life of overachievement. And he began in a small town of 1,200 people in Norway. He was 120 miles from the closest city. He was 400 miles away from Oslo. In the other words, he's in the middle of bloody nowhere. And it was an uninspiring place, ranging from five hours daylight a day to 19 hours daylight a day, depending on the season. With three months of 60-degree temperature and nine months where it was between very cold and freezing. And the wet season which is a combination of rain and snow, was eight months a year, and average rainfall is between one inch and four inches every day. This is a pretty tough place and a very hard place to become really motivated when you're young. At 19, Kurt bought a very run-down mountain lodge, and over a period of years, he renovated it and built 10 extra cabins. He organised hunting and fishing trips, and every four years, not in, in just in four years, he not only owned the lodge, but also the skiing and everything else on the mountain. Seven years later, he decided to move on with his real estate adventures, and this set his credo of buying rundown buildings and doing them up, and that's what he has done. Kurt then learned the ropes working for a big real estate holder in Norway, before buying six city buildings in a town in Norway, renovating one, selling it, and then renovating the next. So he's in his early 20s, and it's now time to spread his wings. He began replicating this process in Brazil, Bulgaria, Turkey, and Norway. Just over 20 years later, 
Kurt visited Thailand. He fell in love with the lifestyle, the people, and the beauty of the country. And more importantly, he saw the incredible resources and potential of the region. You know, if you go to Asia, the potential is unbelievable, and Kurt spotted this straight away. The Nordic group in Pattaya asked Kurt to be an agent for them as they were experiencing financial difficulties in their business. In less than a year, Kurt bought this company containing 18 buildings and he changed the name to the new Nordic group from the Nordic group. So let's move on another nine years to now and Kurt's expanded those 18 buildings into 60 buildings in the same area consisting of hotels, condos, a hundred shops, restaurants, multiple swimming pools, supermarket, all close to absolute pristine beaches. Listen to this. In total now, Kurt has developed 219 buildings comprising 9,820 apartments, ranging in size from 30 square metres to 230 square metres. He's got a hundred more in construction, and his developments span over 10 cities in Asia, and he's now developing properties in Africa. Now, this is the incredible bit. He's done it all absolutely debt-free. Debt-free. 219 buildings, 10,000 apartments. So who is this guy? He's early 50s, he's tall, he's thin, he's quiet, he's pretty confident but he's a visionary. He's an empathetic person who has very dedicated family man and he's fully committed to his 2,000 plus staff. It's not just lip service. He is really committed to 2,000 of these people and they reciprocate that dedication to him. He's smart because he's surrounded himself with highly skilled diversified management team. They speak a whole heap of languages and he travels to all his existing and potential new properties. Bear in mind he's in 10 cities every week. Sorry, 10 countries. Every week. He has all the trappings of success. He's got the homes and the cars and the yachts. And yet he is very modest and totally grounded. He's not afraid to grab opportunities, but he really does his homework first. For example, before beginning development in Africa, he selects his preferred locations after solid research, and then he puts a team of six to eight locals, as well as his people, on the ground for a year before commencing the project. He has them there for a year so that he absolutely understands everything that happens on the ground. Nothing is left to chance. From here, Kurt is looking to develop in tropical areas worldwide with more locations in the current areas he's in, expansion into Africa and Central America. Kurt now has mega projects in Asia. One is 89 hectares with in excess of 5,000 units and a valuation of 1 billion US dollars. Another development is 200 hectares with in excess of 7,000 units and a value of 1.5 billion dollars and he is still debt free. Kurt Svendheim as he really does have 
the magic, the, he's got a magic touch, the Midas touch. We've heard that expression before, but this guy has built this massive empire debt-free. And so from a 19-year-old buying a small rundown lodge in Norway to now serving 50,000 breakfasts a month, 219 buildings, he owns six travel agencies and they generate his hotel guests and he does it with no debt in just 35 years. Now that is a serious success story. He is, he's also, for investors, he is an incredible opportunity. He just has the knack of making money for people. So Kurt is a testament to the fact that really genuinely nice guys can finish first. Kurt really is the exception to the rule. In the next couple of weeks, I'm trying to get Kurt to come on the show. So I'd love to get him on the show and I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know if I can get him and when he'll be on. Now, I'll be back straight after this break with my guest, Vincent Dignan. He's a growth hacker. He went from living in his car to being voted best workshop at a South by Southwest Vision 2 Venture Conference in just a couple of years. This is Bob Pritchard broadcasting across the world this week from the technology and entertainment hub of the world, Los Angeles, California. And I'll be back in just a minute. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show, where over the last five years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 300 of the world's most interesting business people. We talk about what they do, what their successes are, and basically what we try to do is find out what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business and we all need all the help that we can get. And that's why it's important to listen to shows like these and uh, listen to the experts, what they do, what they've done, so that you can emulate them and not make the same mistakes that many people have made before you. The other thing I think that's important and that we stress all the time is the need to have mentors. You need to surround yourself with people who will 
give you straight advice. People who have been successful before and will tell you exactly the way it is. Not people who will go and, you know, patronize you and tell you a whole bunch of bullshit just to make you feel good. You need people that will give you really serious advice. Every business, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a dry cleaning store or you're developing a new app, we all face the same challenges. And we all start off with a dream, we persevere, we overcome obstacles, and about two to five percent of people are successful. Many entrepreneurs try to do it on their own because of a lack of contacts, often because of a lack of money, net, uh, networks they usually don't have. Um, but most people who try that approach fail. And this is perfect for me because one of the areas in which I am very weak is in the social media area Um, and uh, I went along to Metal where I'm a member I go every week that I can Uh, I saw a guy named Vincent Dignan who absolutely blew away a room full of the smartest guys in tech Metal is made up of people in the media, entertainment and technology business who are all absolutely at the top of their game. There's billionaires and millionaires and hundreds of millionaires and it's an unbelievable group. And Vincent just knocked them out, put them on their ass. It was unbelievable. So um, I've tracked down Vincent in, uh, in London. This guy's a one man wrecking crew. He's incredible. So I'll give you a bit about him. He's um, a writer, a growth hacker. He's a part-time comedian. He's actually quite funny. But his content's unbelievable. He went from being on welfare to launching websites which received millions of visitors, getting into tech stars and giving 100 talks on growth hacking across the world just this year. Now, we who are speakers, um, you know, it's hard to get 20 jobs far less 100. Um, his past face extremely practical talk was voted best workshop at South by Southwest Vision, um, Vision to Venture Conference in Las Vegas. He's a world-renowned speaker on growth hacking, personal branding, content marketing and crowdfunding. Now listen to this. Vincent founded PlanetIvy.com and ScrewRobot.com and they've received nearly 20 million page views without any paid marketing spend and uh, content that he's overseen for other people has received over 150 million page views so far. This guy is extraordinary. Vincent, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. So I wish you were here. I bet you, I bet you wish you were in Los Angeles rather than being in London. <laughs> Man, I have to turn the fire on here in London. Six o'clock in the afternoon. It's getting cold in here. <laughs> yeah. um, your online magazine, Planet Ivy, um, I saw it described as a pinch of toilet humour, a bit of tongue-in-cheek, a mix of satire, and a dash of poetic excellence and licence. And it's done extraordinarily well. How did you come up with the idea and and how did it develop so quickly into such a huge success? I was speaking to my ex and she said I had to do something. So I thought, well, what I actually like doing is writing. So I was thinking about maybe doing a Tumblr blog. I was like, there's there's not really much money in doing a Tumblr blog. 
So then that night I had a dream that I would create an online magazine where the writers would be stars instead of musicians. Yep. And the next day I registered the domain planetivy.com because I wanted something cool that maybe little Wayne would wear on a t-shirt. Yep. And then um, step one was direct sales. I got on the phone. I called up every university in the country and I said, I'm building the coolest magazine in the UK. Do you want to write for it? So I would, I would have to get job ads out on student places. Yeah. So I said, I can't pay you, but I'll give you editorial feedback and a bigger platform than your own blog. So right. that was the first 100, 200 writers just uh, hustling because I knew there'd be a demand to do that because back then in 2012, there really wasn't that many places to blog. There wasn't uh, something with massive outreach like Medium around. So we quickly scooped up a lot of writers and I straight away uh, focused entirely on traffic. So business lesson number one, you only need to do well at one metric, particularly if you're running a venture capital driven business. Right. I only knew one friend in the entire magazine industry and I cycled over to meet her and I said, um, so you're in the magazine industry, I don't know anything, what should I do? And she said, just focus on getting traffic. If you get traffic, brands will want to work with you and you'll get investment. So that's what we did. The brand name was okay, the website looked okay, in fact it didn't look actually that good. The content was okay, but we really hammered down traffic. Straight out the gate, we were looking for places that would give us traffic, and we actually had 25,000 visitors in our second week. We had a post blow up, um, me and my co-founder, we just had no idea about. Um, it blew up, we got 25,000. Within six months, we had 300,000 visitors a month. We had 300,000 visitors a month, three months running, and that's when we pitched for funding. And someone who just left Facebook was in the audience randomly, saw us, introduced us to free investors, and then two of them put a quarter million dollars in. It really was that simple. <laughs> yeah, that's simple, yeah, right. <laughs> so, I, I, when, when I meet people now who are doing online magazines, they are, I do think this is really, really hard um, to do again. We, like, at some points, it was something that could only happen now. Um, right. It used to be a lot easier to get traffic from Google, Twitter, and Facebook than it is now. Facebook didn't have the stranglehold over the world and over monetization. It's very hard now to get uh, an ad-driven business money because your targeting will never be as good as Facebook. So there were a few things going on which meant that you know we were in the right place at the right time. But I generally tell people who are building content businesses, uh, have your content businesses live on other platforms. For me, the best content business of recent times is News Now. They don't have a website. Uh, now this news. They only exist on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, on the places people are already, and they produce content natively for those platforms, and then people pay them for uh, advertorials and sponsor content. That would be my advice for anyone building a uh, content-driven business. You have to be big on these other platforms and just get the audience there. Don't try and drag them onto your website. Right. Um, let me just paint a picture for somebody who's listening. Um, <laughs> When you first see Vincent, he is unusual to say the least. He's quite tall and thin. He wears a clothes that are an absolute kaleidoscope of, of colour, um, boots that look like they should be worn on the on Mars, and he, he is just this dynamo. Have you always been like that? Have you always had this? 
meant to be a deliverer of fantastic content, but really a performer as well? I used to dress somewhat like that, like five, six years ago. And then when I started the VC game, um, trying to get money for venture capitalists, and I got into the Techstars Accelerator, I had to smarten up. So I kind of like had a period where I didn't do it. And then over time, I was like, oh, maybe I can dress a little more like this. And then David Bowie died in January, and my mum gave me a couple of magazines, you know, to commemorate the passing of yeah. the Finn White Duke. And I was looking through them as in January this year, and I was thinking, am I really living up to the spirit of Bowie? And I, I think the answer was no. So I invented this whole new look. Um, I'd never worn the gold sneakers before. I'd never worn the multicolor fur jacket before. Um, so I invented this look from head to toe. And then my very first day of the hundred of the well, my third or fourth day of the world tour was in Austin, Texas, where I wore it for the first time. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it went down really well, and uh, I've kept it literally every day since. One of the rules of fame: never break a character. It is if you're going to the laundrette, you dress like this. Yeah, you know, I, if you're going to get groceries, you dress like this. <laughs> it, it can't be something you put on occasionally. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> but it's unbelievable. It, it really creates an impression. Um, so, how did you go from being on welfare to? where you are now, running around the world speaking, addressing every major conference there is. How did, how did you make that transition? How did you get the confidence to go? Usually when people are on welfare, they're despondent, they've you know, got more hang-ups than a dry cleaner. How did you sort of break that? Well, so uh, Planet Ivy, well, the, the answer, of course, is money. Um, Planet Ivy um, gave uh, my company a quarter million dollars and the first thing I did was pay myself three months in advance. I paid myself a very low wage at Planet Ivy, like all founders. Yep. But uh, I, the day it came in, I paid myself three months in advance. So I, meant, I went from a minus $3,000 to plus <laughs> 2000 or so overnight. I was like, wow, the power of money. And when you don't have to worry about money, um, it's really easy to focus in on yourself and your goal, yes. which is one reason that I think a lot of these productivity gurus uh, and all these people who make money online guys kind of miss out. Uh, if, people, if people can't meet their rent or they can't look after their family, it's really hard to get them to focus on building sure. business. It's really hard. So, for instance, I caused uh, mayhem this week with a post that I did that said, look, here is a method anyone can make money with literally this week. And it is join all the fan clubs of rock bands who are touring arenas, certainly in the UK, um, and get the pre-sale tickets and then buy and then sell them on eBay and secondary sites like Get Me In uh, and Seatwave as soon as they go live on mainstream sale. So, for instance, I said, here is a link to Coldplay. You can get there pre-sale tickets using an American Express card and sell them for 2x their value. I was wrong when I put that. You can put them up to 240x as Adele did. Anyway, I put it online and said, look, anyone who wants to make money can focus on their startup, do this. Half the people said, this is brilliant, I can do it, and the other half said, this is wrong. Um, and then people were saying they don't have the growth mindset. So in short, um, getting that investment money was the turning point. Um, like before that, I just had a focus that I had to do it because I had no choice. Right. And um, if you think that a lot of entrepreneurs like me, they have, actually have similar stories. All of us were 
broke um, in some form or another. I think it's uh, Damon John, I think the guy from Shark Tank, yep. uh, calls it the power of broke. Yep. It's actually very similar amongst many, many self-made entrepreneurs. Um, we've all been broke, so we all have that desperation. And I think it's really important to have that desperation and then turn it into inspiration. So, so that's really with the turning of Planet Ivy. Planet Ivy then raised a small second round when it got into the Techstars Accelerator. And then after the Techstars Accelerator, we then launched a marketing agency, which uh, was all the skills I learned in making things go viral, turn into an agency. And that was pr uh, profit generating from day one. So I launched that, and then last year uh, I realized by accident the power of public speaking to meet new clients, and then I started doing that and started getting a lot of new clients, and then this year um, I'm just having fun with it. Yeah. If, you, if, if you're listening out there and are looking for an unbelievable speaker, <laughs> apart from me, um, Vincent, Vincent is your boy. He is extraordinary. Now, you speak about your five biggest regrets from your time building a company, mm -hmm. um, albeit the fact that you were successful almost instantly. What, what are the five biggest regrets? <laughs> if you have them written down on a blog article I've written, I'd like to have them read back to me. Um, five biggest regrets. Um well, firstly, none, because they got me to where I am now. Yeah. Um, other things that would have helped, uh, you mentioned having a mentor. Believe it or not, I'd never had a mentor until two and a half weeks ago. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> never had a mentor, and now I have two, and they're both amazing, and I can see how powerful it is. And I'm, yeah, I've read a lot of books and you know had those virtual sure. mentors. But yeah, number one would be having a mentor. Um, number two would be uh, ignoring Facebook for Planet Ivy. So we, it was increasing all the time, but because we were getting so much traffic from everywhere else on the web, and we were getting some Facebook, we kind of willfully ignored it. And every publisher has been successful. Their only traffic source really has been Facebook. Yeah. So I think it's one thing with entrepreneurs, they, act, they generally know what they need to do, but they don't always do it. And yep. that was a case of that. Um, uh, I, I don't really do regrets. Can I just end the question there? <laughs> yeah, sure you can. Do you have I, I, I mean, I, I really can't complain, you know. Uh, when I left our metal talk, I went to Ty Lopez's mansion party, um, which was exactly like an American hip-hop video. Right. There was like rappers walking around, trap music, girls in bikinis jumping in the pool and twerking. Uh, I met loads of internet marketer guys and like came up with loads of new ideas for making money. I met Ty Lopez. Uh, it was just amazing. Um, so I can't really complain. And yeah, like on my tour itinerary next, I have two dates in Italy. Switzerland, Bulgaria, and then I'm coming back to Canada and America. I really don't have all that many regrets. No, I can I can understand <laughs> that. <laughs> of course, most of these things you can only do here, can't you? I mean, the opportunities in the United States compared with, yeah. say, Australia and the UK are extraordinary. And yeah. uh, I guess that's why so many people come over here. Um, you've got a lot of projects that you that you're working on. Does, does most of that work come from your public speaking now? Um, a lot of it until very recently um, where I'm actually moving a lot of it online because 
just continually have people saying, I can't come see you. When is it live streamed? When is it online? Plus, it's um, just a, a nice thing to do to keep everyone worldwide yep. uh, who can't afford to get to my talks to come out. So I'm actually moving a lot of what I'm doing online now. Um, I built my first online community, so Traffic and Copy is the group on Facebook. It's like 10 weeks old and has 5,500 members. Super active community, and it's very strictly um, people talking about tips for better traffic and better copyright. Right. So it has a function, and it's going really well building that community online. I'm going to start building out my mailing list and a personal Facebook page. So I am building a empire online. Uh, like so far, I've done it a very traditional way, just by speaking and getting face-to-face connections, yes. which is obviously extremely powerful. Um, but it's uh, there's so, only one of me, and yeah, I'm trying to scale yeah. worldwide. Yeah. So it's. It, if somebody, um, I'll give another plug at the end, but if, if somebody wants to lock into your empire, which what's the best site to go to? Um, I, I really add me on Facebook as a friend. I pretty much accept everyone and join Traffic and Copy, my Facebook group. Um, you know, a mailing list is a very one-way communication. I mail you, you read it, maybe you reply once in a hundred times. But Traffic and Copy, every single day there's posts in there that are super relevant and discussions going on, people hiring each other. So that's like a really active uh, community and everyone from the top CEO to the youngest intern is online all day on Facebook. So no one escapes Facebook. It's the best way to build a community for your business um, and that's the best way to keep in touch. Um, if, you have, if you do Facebook well, you don't need any other social networks. So traffic and copy, is that as it sounds? Is it A-N-D-T-R-A-F-F-I-C and copy? Okay, so... Listeners, go to traffic and copy. So what's the main piece of advice? Now, you've come from, from nowhere, but what's the main piece of advice you'd give someone who's just starting out? You know, you, I'm sitting here, I've got a great idea. Now what do we do? So the first thing you need to understand is sacrifice. So you, um, if you're single, you may have to be single for a long time. If you're in a relationship, they're going to have to be very understanding. The easiest thing to do is stop drinking alcohol. Um, that is a very easy thing to stop doing in order to increase your productivity. You know, if I tell you to focus better, well, there's all sorts of things in there. You may perhaps sleep apnea, you may be vitamin D deficient, um, you may have the signs of ADHD, like there's so much can go wrong with focus, but just not drinking alcohol is easy. Um, Slightly more difficult, but well worth doing is eating better. So avoiding carbs and sugar and eating more natural food. Um, Once you've done these basics, then I would start to talk about strategy and techniques, Um, at which point it's a case of building something people want. This is the main reason most companies fail. Yeah. Uh, when you have an idea, you need to be able to write down 15 to 20 people who will buy it right now. Right. If you can't do that, you are really in trouble, not least because you don't know who your target audience is. Uh, once you have that, get a minimum viable product out the door. So what's the minimum amount you could put in of effort that people would buy it? So that's typically a landing page. Say if you're interested in buying this product, leave your email here or even better, um, 
we will sell it to you when it comes out, leave your credit card here. Sure. Um, then you establish demand, then you can put that money or effort into building the product. So you would advise to um, bootstrap for as long as you can? Yeah, absolutely. You'll, you'll get a better valuation. Um, if investors are looking for you, then that's a fantastic position to be in. Generally speaking, almost everyone looks for investment too early. My co-founder had to sit me down at Nando's, a very classy Portuguese restaurant, yep. and explain yep. to me why we had to get investment because it would it would make us go a lot faster. But uh, I, I held out for as long as possible. And we were at 300,000 visitors a month. I see so many founders who are nowhere near that or any sort of traction, um, and they're already out looking for investment. The worst thing is, investors meet everyone. That's, it's the easiest job in the world to be an investor. You just have meetings with people. Um, and most investors will, will take meetings if you have an interesting idea, just in case you suddenly spike and get loads of users, and they've built a relationship with you. Yeah. Likewise, when we started Planet Ivy, we started getting meetings with huge companies really quickly because they always want to keep an eye on just in case you blow up. So a complete waste of everyone's time. So be very wary of chasing money too early. Right. So there are some hacks and tools that anyone can use today um, to get an advantage. Mm-hmm. What are they? So Charlie App. Type in charlieapp.com. Type in anyone's email address and you can find all the public information about them on the internet. Sure. So every blog post or their LinkedIn or their company news so you can, if you meet someone, say, oh, I'm a big fan of this sports team. And they'll be like, what? That's my sports team. You'll be like, yes, we are friends. But you don't really like that sports team. You just found out that they did first and you have that common ground. Yeah. It also works really well for dates. Get their email address, find that information <laughs> about them, and then use it against them. Number two, email hunter. Type in any company's web address and you'll find all of the public email addresses of people who work at that company. So if you want to sell to a company you don't know where to begin, do that. If you're doing B2B selling, then you don't want to be cold emailing people if you only have like 50 or 60 leads. What you want to do is get a warm intro. You do that through Discoverly, discover.ly. Go to anyone's Facebook profile and see all the LinkedIn friends you have in common or vice versa. And with this, you can then ask for warm intros to close them. To keep all your leads in one place, use Streak. It's a Google Chrome tool. And you can keep a track on all of your sales. Every time a sales lead emails you, you tick a box and it goes in this flow. And if you email someone and they don't get back to you, you can use Rebump. If you email them and there's no reply, it will email them every four days forever. <laughs> V-bump. Okay. V-bump, yeah. V, v with a V or re uh, uh, for um, redonkulous. <laughs> R-E, okay. Yeah. Rebump. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're... Um, if you want to get an advantage, you use charlieapp.com, email yeah. hunter, discoverly, streak, yeah. and rebump. So I yeah, I mean, I, I could, if you look me up on YouTube, I, I give like 55 of these in one of my talks. But yeah, those are five really good ones that pretty much anyone can use. Okay. So what, um, what are the major trends that are going to happen in marketing and employment worldwide in the next, say, five years or so? Nice. Um... I believe that internet marketing is going to be absolutely massive. Now, by that, I don't mean marketing on the internet. I mean the practice of creating a value ladder. A value ladder is when you give out free content, 
so in blog posts or emails or Facebook groups, then you have an upsell to a small price product and then you have an upsell to a bigger price product. It's like when your dentist calls you in for a free checkup and then they say, well, now actually you need braces and a retainer and then there's a massive upsell there. But uh, with the continuing trend of people losing their jobs and those jobs not being replaced um, and wages not going up, more people are going to work for themselves and they're going to need a business model. Now, as we've seen musicians and entertainers, People should not try and manage themselves, especially if they're creative. You know, there's too many moving parts. But with internet marketing, it's very simple. All you have to do is create content. You create content for free, and then a certain percentage of people will pay uh, a bigger price for your next content. Using something like ClickFunnels, it's really, really easy to have the software. So all you need to do all day is create that content. So you want to do a parenting blog or a cooking healthy food blog, and you have an upsells to the ultimate 15-minute recipes that no one will talk about or something. You can always upsell to something else. Right. And I really believe that worldwide, it's going to be a massive, massive trend. And in more in the short term, the best place to build community right now is with Facebook groups. Right. They're different to Facebook pages in that when you invite someone into a Facebook group, they're in it by default. They don't get to opt out. So you can invite all of your friends and your co-founder invites all of their friends and that group will have like a thousand people in it in day one. And then groups are communities that grow around you. So it's not just you posting, it's other people. So you can get a really strong community around an idea so you're not just please come to our website and buy stuff. You can have discussions going on around your product. So Facebook groups and internet marketing are two areas I think will be massive as time goes on. What's the biggest challenge you've ever faced? Apart from trying to think of an answer to this question. (laughs) The biggest challenge I ever faced? Um, I I don't know if uh, I have faced, I don't think I've faced it yet. Uh, being homeless, being homeless would have been a challenge. Yeah, that was very stressful. Um, I, 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 I'm trying to think of a particular moment. Um, I guess the time that I had to go back and ask my parents to borrow money for rent, because psychologically that is an indication that you as a child has failed. You know, you move out of your parents and then the idea is you can support yourself. So, you know, in the eyes of society, that was a very bad thing. So that was like, I think that was the hardest thing I had to do. And then, um, you know, it it, it was fine and uh, I got back and then not too long after that, that was that was like a couple of weeks after Planet Ivy was born, so that was real early. That, I really think that was one of the hardest moments. Okay, so um, the persona that you see on stage, that yeah. extrovert, rapid fire, um, colourful David Bowie character, is that? Um, do you wake up in the morning like that, or are you when the lights go on you? snap into character well there's a performative aspect to it but I am an ambivert so an ambivert is equally at home staying at home alone for long periods and then being in front of thousands of people speaking so all that's happening when I'm on stage is I am saying things that I have learned on my laptop you know that's really all, all there is to it people say it's amazing it's really just two, three, four years at that laptop 
here's what I've learned in 30 minutes. So they are one and the same, really. Um, I have the same attitudes and beliefs uh, off stage that I do on, and I never uh, support anything I don't believe in. I also write, at the time of writing this, I may change this, um, I don't have any affiliates for any of the products that I talk about on stage, mm. because what happens if someone offers me a big affiliate fee to talk about something that I don't actually like or use, then that affects my integrity. Yep. So right now, I, I don't yeah, I don't have affiliates for all of the thousands and thousands of people who see my slides right now. Um, yeah, I, I try and keep it as authentic um, as I can, and I always try and have fun with it. Vincent, when I saw you at Metal, I, you blew me away, and as well as everybody else in the group. And, and um, believe me, they're a, they're a group that have seen absolutely everybody and everything, and you are really something special. So thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can... Yes. You can learn more about Vincent. You can go directly to vincentdignan.com, V-I-N-C-E-N-T-D-I-G-N-A-N.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show straight after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. And we're on Voice America Business Network, broadcasting today from the entertainment and technology hub of the world, Los Angeles, California. Do you love poppy seeds? I love them, particularly poppy seed bagels. They are fantastic. However, if you're going to take a drug test anytime soon, don't eat poppy seed bagels. Because while poppy, poppy seeds don't actually contain opium or heroin or codeine or morphine, they become tainted with morphine during the harvesting process. In some cases, the morphine residue on the seeds is enough to throw off the results of drug tests. The amount of morphine residue on poppy seeds varies depending on the country in which they were grown. The harvesting and cleaning processes and other factors make it difficult to predict exactly how many will result in a false positive. Positive, but when you get a bagel with millions of poppy seeds on it, eh, eh, problem. Plenty of people have seen surprising results after eating a single poppy seed bagel, a muffin, or some other pastry with poppy seeds. And research has shown that urine levels may remain elevated for up to two days after consumption. So your urine's going to be elevated for a couple of days after you've had a poppy seed bagel. So when they check it, bingo, you've got a positive test for morphine. And that happens if it shows levels above 300 nanograms per millimetre. 
But because there's so many people getting pulse positives after eating poppy seeds, today a lot of organisations look for levels much, much higher than that, much higher than 300 nanograms per millimetre. But still, you can go. Eden gave birth and showed positives for opiates on a blood test. As a result, her daughter Beatrice was required to stay in the hospital for five days and a caseworker was assigned to monitor her behaviour. The caseworker eventually closed Eden's file, but the new mother called the experience traumatising. She was classified as having an opiate problem and therefore was a danger to the child. Bloody hell. I mean, that makes life <laughs> a bit hard. The poppy seed bagel defence is being found to have an elevated level of opiates. That's worked in instances where the defendant can prove that they ate a product containing poppy seeds and then they subsequently pass further drug tests. But a Pennsylvania woman who had a newborn daughter taken away by the state after eating a poppy seed bagel, a poppy seed bagel, state takes the child, and then she failed the hospital drug test, she actually took them to court and won $143,500. And the same county paid out $160,000 a few weeks later after a woman who ate poppy seeds in a pasta salad failed a drug test and lost her newborn for 75 days. So it's pathetic. You have a poppy seed bagel on the way to the hospital, have your child, and then lose a child because you ate the poppy seed bagel. <laughs> I mean, we've got such sophisticated systems these days, you'd think they'd be able to work that out, wouldn't you? But there was a case where a New York City jail guard failed a urine test, and he said that it was because he ate a poppy seed bagel. I had a poppy seed bagel, that's why I failed. He passed subsequent drug tests, but when his case went to court this spring, the judge recommended that disciplinary action against the guard be dismissed. But the Department of Corrections fired him anyway. So since there's so much ambiguity around poppy seeds and drug screening, the safest thing is just to avoid them if you know you'll need to take a test. The US Anti-Doping Agency recommends this conservative approach to athletes before competition. And in a blog post, the National Institute on Drug Abuse for Teens also recommends abstaining from anything with poppy seeds in it. They can be a tasty treat in favourite foods, but one might think to avoid them. Keep things simple. Don't order a poppy seed bagel. Get an onion bagel instead. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, something I might talk about next week is that um, a lot of sports people are investing in tech. And last week, the Golden State Warriors guard and NBA champion Andre Iguodala, and not sure how to pronounce his last name, co-hosted a tech summit called Players Technology Summit, and they did it in conjunction with Bloomberg. 
described as a forum for some of America's most celebrated athletes and business leaders. The event coached athletes on how to invest like Kobe. You probably noticed that Kobe in um, in his playing days earned $183 million. However, last week he netted $194 million on the Body Armor Coca-Cola deal. So he made more money on investing in the Body Armor than he did in his seven years as the highest paid player in basketball over that period. Wow. Okay, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. You know, everybody can do the ordinary, anybody. And if you just want to be ordinary, go for it. It's not for me. Any bastard can be ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, You'll never know how amazing you can be. Don't be normal. Normal is boring. So I hope you're going to join me again next Tuesday while I'm again be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in the Hollywood Hills in the entertainment and technology hub of the world, Los Angeles, California. The following week, I'll be broadcasting from a conference I'm speaking at in Moscow, Russia. So I'm really looking forward to it. I've been there before. This is a repeat visit, which is always good. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful. The alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.